This, this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Sad news, Brock. Uh, famed Paul Feinbaum caller Phyllis from Molga has passed away. Oh, no. I'm really? sorry. Tan- uh, yeah, Phyllis from Molga. Mm. I confuse her with Tammy. They're sort of her, mm. two of his bigger callers. Did we ever have her on? I don't, oh, that's I don't think so. I know we had Iman, Iman on. Yeah, we, we had a couple other guys, but I don't I don't remember whether we had Was it Phyllis on. you said the past? Yeah. From Molga. Yeah. yeah she's she's Phyllis. the one who's screaming at Colin Cowherd and stuff. There's a pretty famous rant. Maybe if we have time, we'll play it later yes. or tomorrow. Uh, right now, though, we're going to start what should be an incredible hour and a half as we uh, get ready to talk to Pete Carroll. An hour from now, right now, it's time for our weekly conversation with Jerry DePoto. The Jerry DePoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports. All right, let's try to figure out what Jerry's doing tonight. Off night for the Mariners, cracking on. Jerry, what does your night look like? Pizza oven and cracking. <laughs> what kind of pizza are we making for the cracking tonight? Uh, you know, it's, it's it's actually up to the whoever's eating that pizza. They get to determine what they want to what they want to put on top. So we'll have uh, we'll the kids over and and. Uh, Watch a little cracking hockey. So you just keep, like, toppings ready to go? You'll have pepperoni and, you know, sausage and all that stuff just ready? Oh, yeah. No. We, I, we don't have, like, a, a restaurant-style <laughs> fridge or pantry. I will have to go to the grocery store. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's it. an off day. I can all manage right. it. <laughs> how, do you, uh, how do you sum up the last six days, the, the, the homestand uh, in some sun-drenched beauty yesterday, taking on the Astros and Rangers? How do you see that those two series go from your perspective, Jerry? Uh, I mean, it, I guess it depends from which end of the spectrum we start. It's uh, I, I don't know, and this is really for the season, but you know, particularly for this homestand and in the month of May, our pitching has just been awesome, and it's it's every day our our pitchers are giving us a chance to win, and it's more than just a chance. The the way they have dominated in the month of May is is just. You know, otherworldly with the strikeouts we're not walking people they're hard to hit and you know, it's a and and right now it's it's fun to watch because in addition to the results you know the the process is is not just good but it's stuffy and and stuffy is fun um it's our starters it's our relievers it's up and down the chain uh, i thought we did you know it was sporadic and not consistent but we saw better signs from our offense this past homestand than we've seen in, in a couple of weeks. And hopefully we, we've seen Ty France turn the corner and, and he looks like Ty France again after a three-week slump. And we've got a few others who are still mired in, in pretty significant slumps that hopefully we're able to shake out of. But we were able to do enough to, to score runs at a little higher clip than we have been recently. But the same frustration in – and close losses that has plagued us throughout the year that I do think will will turn itself around if it's luck tells you that it will. So I think about how great the pitching has been, and, and I don't have any evidence to support this this sort of observation, but it has just seemed to me in life that when the pitching is is forced to carry a team for as long as they have, that at some point the bats, of course, will turn around, but that it's taken – quite a bit of effort and that effect will, will end up, you know, causing the pitchers to maybe backslide a little bit. How concerned are you that, that, that what they are doing now needs to be sustained throughout the entirety of the season? 
I think mean, it would be almost impossible to expect them to be as good as they are now. I and, mean, you know, we use this this month of May and it's it's a very small sample, but just a month of May to, to this point, you know, they're striking out, I think, almost 11 hitters per game. We're, we're walking about a, a hitter and a half. And you're not going to see that kind of performance sustained over a, a six month period. But uh, you're going to you will have a little slide back. The the thing that I would be more concerned with in terms of the stress on the pitching staff is, is frankly, you know, the number of close games we play forces the, the leverage, the high leverage relievers into the game more frequently. And, you know, right now, guys like Seawald and Brash and Topa and Gabe Spire, you know, they're, they're pitching a little more frequently than they ordinarily would at this time in the season. And, and, you know, days like these, an off day where they can just take a blow, you know, a day like yesterday where, you know, some of them just naturally had a day down and, and create a two day swing where, where they're not out there, you know, chucking it is a positive for, for our team to keep them in a good place because, you know, they've, for us to do the things that we want to do by season's end, they have to be as good as they've been. One of the things I've enjoyed in doing uh, this radio for 14 years is learning the vast differences between football and baseball, and there are a bunch of them. Uh, in my football life experience, Jerry, high school, college, now even doing the USFL, you really see it in these in these leagues when there is an offense that's you know carrying a defense or a defense that has to carry the offense, and the other side just is not getting going and contributing. You can almost feel the tension at times on the sidelines and at times even in the locker room. Uh, is there ever a challenge as as unbelievable as the pitching has been here through you know the first? 25% or so of this season and, and the offense having a hard time consistently getting going. Is there ever friction points in clubhouses? Have you ever experienced that in your years in baseball? Well, I, I've spent some of my work life, both as a pitcher and a front office person in the most extreme of those environments. <laughs> and, True. you know, occasionally it will, you know, it will tip with this team. It has not. And I really don't expect that it will, you know, if, if you're in there, it, it down in our clubhouse or around that area on um, on Wednesday night when or Tuesday night when we when we beat Texas it's it's as good as it's ever been you know they they keep their heads up they're not sulking i think that the the positive about our team is is that these guys love playing together they love playing in seattle despite the fact that the weather was cold for a month i think the 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 energy around the team really hasn't shifted in a meaningful way you know, they still do things. The camaraderie on the club is is very good. I, I really don't worry about any of that. And I do think that, that when you look at the hitters in our lineup, it's, you know, Julio is not going to hit 200. And, and he's not going to roll a 150 Babbitt for the next 70 plate appearances like he has for the last 70. You know, Tasker Hernandez will hit. He's He's got too long a, a track record to suggest otherwise. Same with Gino Suarez. And, you know, but when you've got three or four guys, like we seem to have had throughout the course of this season to date, when you've got three or four guys who are all slumping simultaneously, it looks bad. And, and it's really hard to score runs, despite the fact that I think the bottom of our order, you know, the, the guys that, that kind of were struggling in the season's early weeks are now effectively turned around and doing things like they normally do. Guys like Colton Wong and AJ Pollock and JP Crawford, you know, have really done a lot to create traffic. We're just not cashing in because we don't have the consistency up and down the order right now. 
You guys made the decision, I would assume as a group, uh, to move Julio down in the order yesterday, and Scott talked a little bit about it, Julio talked about it. Do you factor into decisions like that? Yeah, you know, Scott ran it by me and post-game Tuesday and said, what do you think? And I, I think the, the, the real thought process here is just to get Julio going and take a little pressure off him. He's, you know, he's, he puts a lot of pressure on himself naturally. I think the, the fact that he's leading off every game creates a little more of a heightened awareness. And you can see him, like we were talking about last week, uh, when we were talking about when you see hitters press. And this is true of Julio. It's true of Gino. It's true of Teo. Uh, you know, you see them start to swing at pitches that they just don't swing at. That, you know, we're, as the viewer, you say, wow, what are we doing? And, you know, they're just trying to do more than they're capable. They want to be the one to pull the offense out of this. And, and their skill sets and their history suggest that they will do that. Uh, they're just trying too hard right now. And the best thing you can do with players that are trying too hard is just take a little pressure off them in any way you can. And, you know, letting Julio come up a little later in the in the game, you know, first inning, second inning, hitting them down in the lineup, it's not permanent. You know, we're just trying to get the bat going and, and get his confidence back where it needs to be. Do you think you'll see different pitches there? I mean, I remember talking to, you know, a light-hitting shortstop years ago who was like, yeah, I don't know what Felix Hernandez is really like because all he does is throw me fastballs because I stink. I mean, like, he's still Julio Rodriguez, so will he see any different pitches hitting sixth versus first? Not at all. It's just a mentality. And, you know, I I will say, and this is just an observation. I I have no data to back it up. It's, It's watching a game. But I watched yesterday's game, and yesterday in the box, Julio's swing looked like Julio. He looked relaxed. He was on his feet. He wasn't jumping. And, you know, with the exception of one, you know, big swing uh, and a behind in the count pitch that was up in the zone, he, he stayed calm throughout his swing. And, and he wasn't trying to do too much. And, and I think the result was, you know, he hit a scorcher to left field. He did find a hit to right. It's the bats were better. And, and that's what you're trying to accomplish is just slow the heartbeat down. Give you, give your, doesn't matter how good you are, how big your talent is, you know, or frankly, how much you've accomplished in the game everybody's going to run into stretches where they put too much pressure on themselves. And we just need to try to relieve that to the best we can. Unfortunately, there's, you know, there's only a couple of spots in the order you can rotate guys through. And and right now we have others that may need similar help just to take some, some stress off them, but there's only so much you can do when you play every day. Do you think Jerry, that is where a Mitch Haniger or a Carlos Santana a year ago, their voice was so beneficial to a Julio and to some of these young players? Uh, you know, I, th- I can tell you for for Julio in particular, Carlos Santana was was magical for him, and you know, a great guy. He was a reference point for Julio in the clubhouse and off the field, and they had a, a relationship that existed before Carlos even came to the Mariners. But we have players like that. We have Tom Murphy. We have Gino Suarez. You know, we have AJ Pollock, who's fantastic in that category. And you know, I think the the the, the more I, I guess the thing that comes to mind is it's really hard to be that player. And even if you're Mitch Haniger or Carlos Santana, and you could be Aaron Judge or Bryce Harper, when you're four for your last fifty, you don't really say much. 
and and that goes for whoever you are. So you know the the leadership piece, the the, the reference point, the guy you can lean on. He's less likely to offer you those golden nuggets when he himself is struggling. And you know you've got again you've got five or six hitters in this lineup that have gone through forty and sixty plate appearance slumps. And as a result, they are less likely to, to share with the other because they're trying to figure it out on their own. You, you mentioned uh, Julio looking a little calmer at the plate. It, it felt like you were describing every at-bat we've seen from Jared Kelnick this year. The one yesterday late in the game against the lefty. I mean, how in the world has a player made that big a stride in so little time? I mean, with, with, with Jared, I, the easiest thing to say is it's sheer will. You know, he, he has willed himself to be what his talent has always suggested he should be. And, you know, his, his mental approach to baseball is, has, I can't even say enough about how much work he put into, you know, recrafting the way he approaches the game, especially the way he processes pitch to pitch and the way he, I, I mean, it's going to sound silly in a reference, but, you know, if you remember the Kevin Costner movie where he, the perfect game where he just clears the mechanism, JK is clearing the mechanism. He, he's not allowing the last at bat or the last day to carry over. And, and, and that's the biggest thing in, in staying away from deep slumps. And, you know, and JK regressed a little bit for a week or so, and, and it wasn't going quite as good for him, but the at bat stayed good. And, you know, he was seeing pitches, he was doing the, the, the right things. The pitch selection was strong. And, and when you do that, you never really stray very far from your productivity. And, and that's the space that he's in right now. How many calls did you get about Kelnick over the last year or so from other GMs wanting him while his value was down? Oh, fair bit. You know, it's a, I would say, especially you know, over the course of this past year, I think because you know, there, there was enough of a, a track record of struggle set up that, and, and, you know, if I'm another team, that's what I'm looking at. Hey, they've got this guy. He's 22 years old. He's had a rough transition to the big leagues, but the tools are huge. It's a, he's a year at that time, a year removed from being one of the top five prospects in baseball. You know, and people attempt to buy low. And you know, we, I can't say we ever had a, a proposal that we considered, uh, I guess, meaningfully. But you know, the the idea around the league is constantly trying to tap your tap into that type of player that that might you know really just flourish in a new environment. And, and fortunately for us, we have been able to watch Jared struggle in our environment and then flourish in our environment, which which I think leads to you know as as Brock said a moment ago, you know the the Mitch Hanegers or the Carlos Santanas. Those are the guys in your clubhouse that the Jared Kelnicks and the Cal Raleigh's and, and, and frankly, I don't know if it's going to be just this 50, 60 plate appearance, you know, a pocket or, or what, but Julio, you know, guys who've now gone through some struggle and overcome, they become the reference point for the next group. And that's a huge thing for us. I do want to get to pitchers and a, and a comp that Salk had for Kirby that I'm curious if uh, if you'll lean into as well because I think it's a, a really good one. Before I do, last thing is just on Teo. 
you know, and, uh, you know, th- this program is a draft, develop, and trade, right? And so much of the development we're talking about with Jared and, the, and these pitchers, the trade is the third piece of it with Teo, who obviously has a track record of hitting the ball really, really hard uh, and not a track record of striking out quite at the rate that he's doing so here through the first part of this season. How can you get him on track? Uh, it's, it's something that's ongoing, and it, I wish I knew. The, the answers to all the, the questions of struggle. If we had a simple answer, we wouldn't be struggling to score runs the way we are. But, you know, the, the starting point with Teo is in some way as simple as swing less. You know, r- right now, Teo's swinging more than he's ever swung in, in his professional career. And, you know, the, the result is when you swing at that much, and Teo's never been a passive <laughs> hitter to begin with. So he's, you're taking an aggressive hitter who is now doubling back doubling down on it and you know anybody who who has experienced slumps you know and and this goes for pitchers as well what what you wind up doing and i don't know if this translates in football or or other sports frankly but i do know this is true in baseball what you do when you're slumping is you go harder if you're a pitcher you throw harder if you're a swinger you swing harder if you're a hitter you swing more you think you're going to swing your way out of it and you know i call it old guy skills the old guy gets up there and he has a way of slowing it down. And when they get in that deep slump, they, they just, it, they don't try harder. They try less. And, and that's how you get out of it. And, but that's hard when you're 30 years old, an explosive athlete, you're, you're over the last four years among the five top home run hitters in baseball. There's not a lot of 60 plate appearance stretches like this in, in Teo's career that this has ever happened to him. So it's, these are all new struggles for guys to overcome. And, and, you know, the easy answer is do less. And it's, it's hard to coach do less. The answer is yes, Jerry. If you throw two picks, throw three more in the Apple Cup. So, yes, the answer to that one in football is does it translate? Uh, yeah, you end up with five of them. Uh, I did mention uh, the pitching element. Uh, Salk said the other day and asked, I think, Scott, the, the question, because he sees a lot of Mark Pryor in George Kirby, just the ease with which he throws, the command with which he has, the repeatability of that delivery. Is Mark Pryor a pretty good comp for what we're seeing out of George? Boy, I think you could comp George to just about any dominant pitcher in any era with what he's doing right now. You know, it's such an easy operation and always has been. It's a, the, the number of strikes that George throws. You never really worry about the walk coming up to bite you. It's when he goes 3-2 or 3-1 on a hitter, you know, you, you can go, you, honestly, you can go get a drink and come back because he's going to get back into the count is, is your expectation. And he's doing it with premium stuff that misses bats. So I, th- that's a very rare combination is, you know, extreme strike thrower with bat missing stuff. And, you know, he's, he's durable. He manages pitch counts. He pitches deep into games and, and, you know, and he's sneaky competitive. You know, there's uh, probably if, if you spend any time around guys like Logan and George, you know, on a, uh, sitting in the dugout and pregame on a day they're not pitching, you, you wouldn't really have an idea of just how ferocious they, they are as competitors when the game starts. So, yeah, I, I mean, truly any strike thrower with power stuff is, is going to be a fair comparison. But you know, the thing to remember with George is he's still just playing his 25-year-old season. There's so much left in front of him that uh, it's uh, the sky's the limit, truly, for what he could accomplish. 
Uh, Jerry, uh, I was pretty shocked watching Juan Ten the other day, and again yesterday. He has ridiculous stuff. It makes me wonder what else you have going on in Double A. If his, I mean, again, like Bryce Miller, his numbers weren't particularly great in Arkansas. What is going on down there with these guys? Uh, you know, trust. And, and in Juan's case, we, in Bryce's case, as I referenced, we had under the hood data to suggest that the best guy for, for the job, so to speak, was Bryce. And, you know, from a confidence and stuff perspective, he would handle it well. And I think he's handled it extraordinarily well. But uh, in Juan's case, Juan's on the 40-man roster. You know, this is his last option. He has battled through a couple of, you know, what I would call non-long-term injuries, but injuries nonetheless that have kept him off the mound. And when coupled with the COVID season in 2020, you know, it, there just hasn't been a lot of mound time for Juan. So he was transitioned last year to the bullpen and you know, we, he actually has starters stuff. And, you know, we transitioned him to the bullpen and shortened his arm up a little bit to create this sinker change up occasional slider repertoire. And, and his stuff is really good and he can create action with so many different pitches and I said, Juan, the, the question with Juan as opposed to, to Bryce, because there wasn't a, a lot of mound time included in his ascension, was how is he going to handle you know, his first opportunity in the big leagues? And I think he acclimated himself well. I'm so proud of how calm he stayed. And he looked like a big leaguer from the first pitch. And he's still just a baby. And you know, promoting Juan was Hey, we have an opportunity here. Let's find out if Juan 10 can be part of the solution moving forward because, you know, at season's end, we do run out of options and we need to, to find out what Juan is. Well, so far it's looked great. Um, the other thing we saw yesterday was Prelander Baroa throwing out of the pen and obviously hitting 99 looked great. I will admit I saw that and I went, boy, I hope that's not in some way a reaction to Andres Munoz's health. Where is he at? Uh, well, I'll start with Mooney. You know, Mooney had a PRP injection last Friday. Um, if you'll recall, we spoke on Thursday, and we were we thought we would have more information. He was set to begin a rehab assignment the next day, and uh, you know, he had a little bit of a setback, and it resulted in a PRP injection that we think has solved the problem. We have no structural damage with Mooney, and. Now, when he starts a rehab assignment is going to be relative to you know, how the bullpen work goes. But we do hope to have him back in the next couple of weeks. And, you know, if that is around the 1st of June or the first week of June, I, it, there's that would be you know, about the best we could hope for. And with these things, you never know. There could be another setback. We thought this was going to be a, a, a two-week thing at the start. So, you know, it's tough to predict. But, you know, we do expect to have Mooney back at full force at some point in the in the near future. I just can't give you a reasonable time other than to bucket it up as, as you know, first of June or thereabouts. Uh, with Baroa, you know, Perlander, we always saw Perlander as a bullpen guy. And, you know, he was so impressive in terms of the physical stuff. What he has, three pitches, and, you know, three pitches suggest starter – but, you know, we, we thought Perlander's focus would greatly improve if we just shortened him up a little bit. And, you know, this is – it's very similar to what we did years back with Edwin Diaz. It's a very similar transition to, to what we made with Matt Brash uh, last year. And, you know, that's what we presented to Varroa. And, and 
pre-listened to the presentation, he said, cool, I'm good to go. <laughs> and, uh, and I think he sees himself as a reliever. And it's, uh, it's, it's a huge arm. It's a, it's a devastating slider. He throws up to 100 miles an hour. And you know, our, our impression was we were probably going to spin our wheels with him as a starter because the command would just get in the way over a five, six, seven inning outing. And, you know, but asking him to go get three or six outs with that kind of stuff and just focus on the big strike zone rather than trying to be too fine with multiple different pitches could really accelerate his growth. I'm feeling tonight, by the way, on these, on this pizza, because it's Dallas, because it's Texas, because you want to eat their lunch. I'm feeling some theme of a barbecue. Like you got to put yeah. something on there, like, you know, barbecue sauce of some sort. If you like the chicken or if you want to do the, the pork or whatever you want to do barbecue wise on there. Like I, I think you got to eat Texas tonight. Man, I, there's, I have to tell you, knowing the, the, the mouths and bellies that exist at Shea DePoto, I don't know if anybody's <laughs> going to be running for the barbecue on the oh. pizza this time, but, okay. uh, but they will all be wearing their cracking swag and, and cheering out of their minds. I can tell you that. Who, who's, who's like the person you need to see have a good night tonight? Uh, groovy. I mean, it, that's always groovy. Uh, Plain and simple, you know. It's a, I think in in playoff hockey, you you see your defense step up. They play, you know, a little bit more physically than they do over the the full season. Um, but the goalie has to be your best player. And and to this point in the postseason, it's hard to say that Gruby hasn't been that. He's been awesome. And you know, but for for them to come through and win this series, I think he's got to be the one to to step up and get it done. Goalie equals starting pitcher, I guess. Yep. In this there case, hey, how are you guys going to succeed? <laughs> starting pitching. How are you going to succeed? Goaltending. Sounds like a very very familiar answer, Jerry. Great stuff as always. Uh, big road trip coming up, and we'll talk to you next Thursday. All right, fellas. Look forward to it.